I was actually seated here when I met Jesus for the first time. I remember it, uh, parts of it, as if it just happened yesterday. I was invited to come to an event by a friend who attended youth group here, and uh, it was hot. It was a typical August afternoon in Kansas City. There were like dunk. There was a dunk tank out in the parking lot, and there was a big slip and slide back here uh, behind the sanctuary. And I remember that like 95% of the reason I came was because uh, there was this new girl in town and she was cute and she was going to be there. But I came nonetheless and we spent like the first hour or hour and a half or so out in the parking lot, just playing on the slip and slide or dunking people in the dunk tank. There was a three on three basketball tournament that was, that took place down here on the end. Um, we're actually, a uh, a guy who had become one of my very best friends uh, spent his afternoon cussing out the senior pastor in the three-on-three basketball tournament. And I remember when that time was over, and, and that's all I thought was happening. I thought I was just, I was coming to a thing at this church where we were going to dunk people in the dunk tank and, and play on the slip and slide. But at a certain point, they called us all to come inside, and we came in uh, through the MPA, and there was a CD playing in there. And I don't know why, but I remember this so clearly. Uh, the song that was playing was the song by Grits, My Life Be Like, Ooh, uh, you guys know that song? That CD, ironically enough, was still in the CD player when I became the youth pastor here. <laughs> it was still, I hit play in there one day, and that's the song that came on. And so I remember walking in with that song playing, and I came over, uh, and I sat down right over here. But there were no chairs uh, we all sat on the ground, and, and I remember thinking to myself that I didn't want to sit too close to the front because I had no idea what was about to happen, but I also didn't want to sit too far back because I had no idea what was about to happen, and so I wanted to like find the happy medium, and there was this giant nasty coffee stain on the old carpet right over there. I literally sat directly in it, and I, I still remember the feeling a lot. I had, uh, I had been dunked a couple times in the dunk tank. I had played on the slip and slide. So my skin had this weird like dish soap, crusty, sticky feeling to it. And my shorts were still wet. And so I remember sitting there kind of uncomfortable um, and watching what took place. And what happened after that changed my life forever. A guy, a man came up here on uh, the stage, he actually kind of paced around on the steps, and he started to talk about Jesus. And I, to this day, when I read the story of the woman at the well, I feel just like her because she has this interaction with Jesus, and then she goes back into town and she says, you guys have got to come see this Savior because he told me everything I ever did. That's how I felt when I sat in the coffee stain with my wet swim trunks over there. I felt like here, I'm hearing about this person, Jesus, and I'm hearing about sin for the very first time. And it's like he is telling me everything I ever did, but it doesn't stop there. It's like in the midst of that, you know, 30 minutes or however long we were in there, it was like Jesus told me everything I ever did. And I had no idea what sin was before that. And I was hearing it for the first time and that was unfolding for me. But in the midst of that, it was like he knelt down beside me and said, and I forgive you. 
I remember being so emotionally overwhelmed that I almost couldn't handle it. I almost can't handle it right now. From that point forward in my life, everything changed. But it wasn't this like rapid, overnight, totally new person. Everything started to change kind of slowly in my heart and in my life. And at the end of uh, uh, Kenan's time up here talking, he asked if anybody wanted to put their faith in Jesus. And I... Uh, I raised my hand along with a few others, and it became clear when, when we started to talk afterward that I had a lot of questions. Because previous to that point, I knew that Jesus was like a figure, but I knew nothing else about him. And so I had all of these questions, and Kenan said, why don't we get lunch together sometime? And so he and I got lunch the following Monday, right before school started. And I asked all of my questions, and he answered as best he could, uh, and I placed my faith in Christ at that point. And I remember that day, he kept saying the same thing over and over and over again, that, that it didn't have to be this complicated. Like I was asking big questions that required difficult answers, and he kept saying it, does, it doesn't have to be that complicated. It doesn't have to be that complicated. Because the truth of the matter is this, following Jesus is actually very simple. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. And I have, I have lived by that ever since. I've tried the best I can to live by that ever since. You see, when I sat in the coffee stain over there on the ground, I needed one thing more than anything else in the world. I needed one thing more than I'll ever need anything again in my life. And that was to hear about who Jesus was, what he did, and why that mattered to 16-year-old Tim Fritzen. And as I heard that, something else also clicked for me. It was that I had been given something very valuable up to that point in my life. And that was that I'd been given a group of friends who, unbeknownst to me at the time, had lived out this genuine, authentic, compelling picture of who Jesus was and why he mattered and what that meant for my life. I had been surrounded by a group of people up to that point in my life who understood that following Jesus, despite all of his challenges and difficulties, is actually very simple, that all you've got to do is be faithful. And they had been faithful in front of me for years at that point. What the world needs right now is to hear about who Jesus is, what he did, and why that matters. What the world needs right now are Christians who are unafraid to live in such a way as to give an authentic and genuine and compelling picture of who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why he matters. Have you ever, when you walk in the building over here, have you ever looked and seen what's written on the wall here on the right side when you come in? It used to be on the back wall over here in the old uh, entrance over there. It's a statement. It's our, our mission statement. It says, building devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Since the day the LCF was founded in Kim and Bev's living room, that has been the goal, the mission of Liberty Christian Fellowship. And that's not changing. That's biblical. That's what it means to be faithful. Faithful followers of Jesus Christ build more followers of Jesus Christ. They build disciples. That's what a Christian is. 
in the midst of following Christ, we build devoted followers of Jesus. We may have walked our way through this transition over the last year or so, and the person whose name is listed as as lead pastor might have changed. It doesn't say senior pastor anymore because I'm anything but senior. (laughs) It says lead pastor, and that might have changed, but the mission and the purpose and the reason for this church is not changing because building devoted followers of Jesus Christ is timeless. It's bigger than any one person. It's larger than any single individual. And so as a church, that's what we're going to continue to do, to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Bill Hybels is the senior pastor at Willow Creek Community Church just outside of Chicago. And he talks about leadership in really simple terms. He says that leadership at its core is taking people from here to there. That what leadership is is that you take people from where they are to where it is that they want to go. Where we want to go is building devoted followers of Jesus Christ. That's simple. Like I said, it's never going to change. Devoted followers of Jesus Christ who put their faith in Jesus. Devoted followers of Jesus Christ who stake their whole identity on his work on the cross on their behalf. Devoted followers of Jesus Christ who give their lives to serving Jesus with all that they are, who are built up and encouraged and unleashed to go out and make more devoted followers of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who the lead, senior, whatever pastor is at this church. That's the goal. And it's not ever going to change. Now, defining where we are is a little bit trickier. When I was in high school, my friends and I used to play this game. My parents don't know this. They're here right now. We used to play this game that involved meeting at someone's house and splitting into two teams. Once you had split into the two teams, you gave one person from team A to team B and one person from team B to team A, and you blindfolded them. You then put them in your vehicle and drove them somewhere in Liberty. That was the only rule. You just had to stay in Liberty, and you dropped them there and left them. At that point, they could take the blindfold off, and the goal was for team A to find their missing person and team B to find their missing person. But what that required was for the missing person to locate where they were. Usually, you were in some field out past Stocksdale, where there was no identifiable road anywhere around you. And so you had to figure out where you were so that you could end up where you wanted to be, which was back in the car with your team. And the first team that found their person won. But really, the challenge of the game was for the hostage to identify where they were. And so in order for us to identify where we are so that we can move toward building devoted followers of Jesus Christ... We're going to start in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is the longest, continuous chunk of teaching uh, from Christ in the Bible. It's found in Matthew chapters 5 through 7. If you've got a Bible and you want to flip it open, we're going to look at the first couple of verses in that. Over the next few months, the first part of 2016, we're going to work our way through the Sermon on the Mount. Piece by piece, verse by verse, we're going to take it as it comes to us, not skipping anything. Um, not passing over maybe some of the more difficult teachings that Jesus has, but instead working through each one. And what's true about the Bible as a whole is also true about the Sermon on the Mount. You see, with the Bible, if you want to accurately understand any single passage, you've got to accurately understand how it fits into the whole Bible, uh, uh, the whole Bible story. 
You've got to do the same thing with the Sermon on the Mount. We can't cherry pick things out of it because in order to really understand what Jesus is saying, you've got to see the whole picture. And so this morning, we're just going to begin with verses 1 and 2. I want to point out just a couple of things. Matthew 5, verse 1, says this, Seeing the crowds, he, that's Jesus, went up on the mountain, and, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. Pretty straightforward. I want to point out three things. We're going to work backwards. The first thing I want to point out is notice what Jesus does. He teaches. That doesn't need a ton of explanation. It's pretty simple. He opened his mouth and taught them. But I do want to highlight one thing, and that's this. Jesus is really intentional in his discipleship efforts. Jesus is very intentional in building devoted followers. He's doing it at all times, all throughout his ministry. When they're out with the crowds, Jesus is looking for ways to teach and disciple his followers. When they're at dinner at someone's house, Jesus is intentional in looking for ways to disciple and teach his followers. When they're healing the sick or feeding people, when uh, they're out just doing ministry, interacting with the crowds, Jesus is always looking for the opportunity to disciple his followers, to build devoted followers. He never stops. The second thing is this. Notice who Jesus is with. He's with the disciples. The Sermon on the Mount is delivered to the disciples. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when the disciples sat down, or or when he sat down, the disciples came to him, and he taught them. Now, there's a bunch of people listening. But Jesus is looking at 12 individuals and he's giving them a master class in what it looks like to follow. You see, the disciples have already counted the cost. They've already walked away from one life and and given up everything to follow Jesus and enter into this new life. And the Sermon on the Mount becomes this discourse not on how all people everywhere at all times are supposed to live. It becomes a picture of what faithful followers of Jesus are supposed to look like. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. The Sermon on the Mount doesn't say, live like this and then you will be Christian. The Sermon on the Mount says, if you are Christian, your life should look like this. It's a picture of what it is to be faithful. You see, the Sermon on the Mount isn't necessarily a law to be followed. It's a character to be developed. What does the character of a follower of Jesus look like? And so it's going to do something for us. The Sermon on the Mount is going to reveal our hearts. It's going to reveal our character. It's going to reveal where we're not faithful. And it's going to give us a picture of what it would look like to be faithful in the midst of that. As I've thought about this message over the last week or so, I keep thinking about the great theologian Michael Jackson. He says, I'm starting with the man in the mirror, and I'm asking him or her to change his or her ways. We can talk all we want about what it looks like to be a church a church body that builds devoted followers of Jesus Christ. But a church is made up of people, which means what we need to talk about is how every individual is going to take a hard look at themselves and say, am I building devoted followers of Jesus Christ? Am I concerned with building devoted followers of Jesus Christ? 
Am I starting with a person in the mirror? And as we go, what the Sermon on the Mount is going to show us is where we're not faithful. What the Sermon on the Mount is going to do is it's going to rub us in the wrong way at times. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he's a, an old dead pastor. He doesn't pastor anymore, but he did when he was alive. He says this, if you find yourself arguing with the Sermon on the Mount at any point, you are really saying a great deal about yourself. The things that rub us the wrong way in the Sermon on the Mount are likely the areas of our heart where we really struggle to be faithful. The things that we hear in the Sermon on the Mount and say, surely that's not what Jesus meant. Those are probably the areas where we've failed to fully surrender our lives to Christ. And here's what's really beautiful about the Sermon on the Mount. You see, Jesus didn't live and die and resurrect in order to say, you must live this out perfectly. No, Jesus lived the, per- the Sermon on the Mount perfectly. He died on the cross. He resurrected to empower his followers to live the Sermon on the Mount. Progressively, as we yield ourselves to Christ, as we go about the process of trying to be more and more faithful, when we look into the mirror, we should see less of ourselves and more of Jesus. When we as individuals look into the mirror, we should see something that looks less like us and looks more like Jesus. When we as a church look into the mirror, we should see something that looks less like a body of broken, saved individuals and looks more and more like the person of Jesus Christ. Third thing, notice where Jesus is. He's among the crowds. That's how the text starts. The vast, vast majority of Jesus' three-year ministry is spent among the crowds. Imagine if Jesus or Paul or any of the New Testament Christians had instead spent all their time teaching and interacting only in religious spaces with religious people. Let me tell you what we would be without. We would be without the woman at the well. We would be without the story of them feeding the 5,000. We would be without the story of Jesus healing lepers or giving sight to the blind. We would be without the stories of Jesus having this unbelievable compassion for the people that were around him. But instead, he intentionally puts himself out in the crowds. And because of that, we do have those stories. Shockingly, the trend in our world today is that we're either told to or we relegate ourselves to just living our Christian faith in religious spaces only. We're told that our belief, our profession of Christ, our uh, portrayal of Christ should be something that we just, we, we slide away into a one or one and a half hour slot on Sunday morning and maybe a small group or something later in the week. And sometimes we just choose, we just elect to keep it out of our friendships. We elect to keep it out of our workplaces, away from the folks that are on our children's teams or out of our classrooms. There are in excess of 75,000 people that live in the Northland. An increasingly large percentage of those are not saved. And so my question this morning is, if we confine our following of Jesus, our faithfulness to Christ, to Sunday mornings, who is there to make disciples of? Only the people that walk into the building? Because the vast majority of the people that walk into the building are already Christian. 
We can spend our time together on Sunday mornings and in small groups and in classes encouraging each other and building each other up and, and helping each other understand our gifts so that we can go out and live among the crowds. Think back to the moment you met Jesus. Who brought you to that place? Who told you about it? Who was there with you? Where would you be if that person hadn't been faithful? I never would have sat in the coffee stain in my sticky, wet swimsuit and heard about Jesus if it weren't for a few teenage friends who were willing to be faithful followers of Jesus outside of their religious space. If someone hadn't been willing to take their faith outside the confines of Sunday morning, I wouldn't be here right now. I never would have shown up to that event. I never would have sat in that coffee stain. I never would have seen or heard or experienced a genuine compelling picture of who Jesus is, why Jesus matters, and what that means. Following Jesus is simple. Just be faithful. Just be faithful. And so how we're going to establish where we are is by taking a look into the mirror, thanks to the Sermon on the Mount, and seeing as individuals and as a church collectively, where are we faithful? Where do we struggle to be faithful? What do we need to turn over to the Lord? And with that in mind, I want to spend my last few minutes this morning revealing a bit of my heart to you. I know some of you, which means some of you know me. I don't know some of you, which means some of you don't know me. So this could be the first time you hear me say some of these things. The first is that I love Jesus. I love Jesus a lot, and I want other people to love Jesus. I want people who know Jesus already to love him more. I want people that have never heard of Jesus to hear about him for the first time. I want people who want nothing to do with church to have a sticky, wet swimsuit, middle of the coffee stain moment where they meet Jesus for the very first time. I love him a lot, but here's the reality of the matter. I don't love him perfectly. There are moments where I fall short. I miss the mark. And yet, the reality of my failure in those times only leads me to love Jesus more because it's like in that moment, Jesus kneels down next to me in the coffee stain and says, I know everything you've ever done, and yet I forgive you. I love Jesus a lot, but I don't love him perfectly. The second thing that I want to share with you this morning is that I love people, but I love people because I love Jesus. It would be a whole lot easier to not love people and to just love myself. But you can't love Jesus and not love people. I love lost people. I love the people that are sitting in this room right now. I love the people that sat here first service and the ones who will sit here third service. I love people that don't come to this church but want to follow Jesus. I love people who violently and vocally oppose Jesus. But I don't love people perfectly. And the reason I don't love people perfectly is because I don't love Jesus perfectly. And in the moments where I fall short or miss the mark in loving Jesus, oftentimes I fall short and miss the mark and that uh, displays itself in a relationship with a person. I will frustrate and hurt and confuse people. 
I will frustrate, hurt, or confuse people here. It's bound to happen. That's what happens when broken people live in a broken world and do broken things in the same, in the same place. We frustrate and confuse and hurt people. But in those moments, I want to be reminded of how I need to love Jesus better so that I can love people better. The third thing is this. I love LCF. I love LCF because I love people, and I love people because I love Jesus. I love LCF because I sat in the coffee stain right over there on the floor and heard about Christ for the first time. I love LCF because some kids who went to church here were faithful to live that outside the walls of this church and to bring me here so I could hear about Christ. Jesus found me here. Or maybe more accurately, I found Jesus here. He knew where I was all along. I just didn't know he was there. And I pray that as we continually stare into the mirror, if you will, and faithfully pursue loving Christ as he is to be loved, that we keep getting better at loving the people the way they are to be loved, and that we keep being faithful so that LCF can keep being fruitful. Because that's what I'm convicted of as we start a new season of ministry together. I'm convicted that here at LCF, we will be as, faith, as fruitful as we are faithful. We will be as fruitful as we are faithful. That's been true up to this point. It will be true going forward. Over the last 15 months or so, I've done a lot of soul-searching. There's a part of the transition story that maybe uh, you haven't heard before. And that's that a few months before any conversations happened between myself and the leadership team here about Kim and his retirement, Melody and I had already begun praying about how long we were going to be in youth ministry. We both felt pretty sure that the answer was not much longer. But we also both felt pretty sure that We weren't ready to leave LCF, and we had no idea what that meant. And so we just spent time praying about it and talking to one another and trying to, you know, Drew's going to to Western Asia, so maybe that means, like, I'll step into that role, but I don't know that that's, like, a perfect fit. So maybe we could convince the leadership team to, like, carve us out a special role in an associate uh, pastor kind of context. And that didn't feel right. And so we were just praying about it. And then those conversations began about Kim's retirement and what was going to come after that. And that went on for a couple of months. And it became clear that this is what the Lord was was leading myself and, and Melody to. This is what the Lord was leading LCF to. And then I started to think a lot about this moment, the moment when Kim had retired and stepped away, and I came up here and tried to offer something on a recurring basis to this body of believers. And I thought, where do I want to start? What do I need to say at the beginning of that? And I I decided that I want to make some promises to you this morning. My first promise is that I'm going to keep my loves in order. I'm going to love Jesus first, people second, and LCF third. And if at any point those get out of order, it will be to the detriment of this church. If at any point I put this church above Jesus, it will be to the detriment of the church. If at any point I put any singular person above my love for Jesus, it will be to the detriment of this church. And so I'm promising this morning to keep my loves in order. That I will love Jesus first. 
And that because I love Jesus, I will love people second. And because I love people, I will love LCF third. I'm going to lean hard on Jesus. That's my second promise to you. The reason I make that promise is because if I don't, we are all in trouble. I'm 30. Kim did this for 30 years. I'm not Kim, and I'm certainly not Kim with 30 years of experience. And so if I don't lean hard on Jesus, we're going to end up in a rough spot. And so I'm making a promise to you this morning that I want to lean hard on him. I want to stare into the mirror hardest and longest. I want to lead the way in a wholehearted pursuit of Christ. I want it to be clear in everything that I do as the lead pastor of this church that this church is about Jesus and not about Tim Fritzen. That this church is about Jesus and not about any other single individual. My third promise is that I'm going to strive with all I am to model an authentic Christian life. That will not be perfect. I will accidentally hurt or frustrate or confuse some of you from time to time. You will sit out there and think to yourselves, he just quoted Michael Jackson. (laughs) But in the moments when I fall short of perfectly modeling a Christian life, which is going to happen, I want to commit to you that I'm going to be authentic and genuine in those moments, that I'm not above admitting my mistakes and shortcomings. I'm not above admitting my failures when they need to be admitted. I'm not above taking responsibility for those when somebody needs to take responsibility. But I also know that for certain in those moments, it will be no different than when I sat sticky shorts in the coffee stain and felt like Jesus leaned down in front of me and said, I forgive you. I know that that's the case. My last promise is this. I'm going to give the gospel every week. I don't know the heart state of every person that comes in here. I don't know if you brought a friend with you from work or from your neighborhood or from your child's sports teams. And so because of that, every single week, I'm going to say something about who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and why that matters. I promise to do that every week that I come and stand up here in front of you. And if I'm being totally honest, I don't have anything better to talk about than to talk about that. Over and over during the course of the last week as as I thought about coming up here today, I just thought I want to end by making two statements. The first is that I don't want this LCF to be about me. I want it to be about Jesus. And I've said that a few times. But the second is equally as important. And it's that I don't want this LCF to be all about me making things about Jesus. I want LCF to be all about us making things about Jesus. I want you to look at an empty chair. There aren't a ton of them, but see if you can find one. That empty chair represents a person. That empty chair could represent a person that you have the opportunity to tell about Christ. That empty chair represents so much more than an attendance figure at LCF. That is not my primary concern. That empty chair represents the soul of a person that could spend eternity worshiping at the foot of the throne in heaven. And at the moment, that empty chair might represent the soul of a person who's going to spend eternity separated from Jesus. 
that empty chair means a lot to me because that empty chair represents a person. I love people because I love Jesus. I want us to love people because we love Jesus. I want us to build devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And when we boil everything all down to its simplest form, I just want us to remember that following Jesus is simple. Just be faithful. Let's just be faithful together. This morning we're going to end by, uh, with a prayer, but we're going to sing that prayer. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up. You can stand. The words of the prayer go like this. Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Release in us, we pray, unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are the church. We need your power in us. Build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fear. Show your mighty hand. Heal our streets and land. Set your church on fire. Win this nation back. Let's sing together.